All right, well, good morning, everybody. How many of you have seen the movie Gladiator? Raise your hands if you've seen Russell Crowe. Was it? Okay, almost everybody. I'm going to talk about it for just a moment, so if you haven't seen it, this is your spoil alert. If you want to cover your ears or whatever, go ahead and do it now. But then again, it's been out for so long. That's really on you that you haven't seen it yet. You should go out and rent it and go see it. Uh, I love the movie Gladiator. It reminds me of my own life story of becoming a gladiator. And I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I'm not a gladiator. That was a joke, not a gladiator. And I love the movie Gladiator. It's a story about a general in the Roman Empire who eventually loses everything. He loses his wife. He loses his son. He loses his position in the army. He is sold into slavery. He becomes a gladiator, and he fights well in the arena, but he loses almost everything, and out of that, he becomes known as the Spaniard. And so no longer is he given his name. He has his name. He's called, everyone calls him the Spaniard. After one particular scene in the movie Gladiator, the Spaniard defeats the enemy, and it was sort of like his overwhelming odds, but he come, you know, it's the, the Gladiator movie. And at the end, Emperor uh, Commodus, who is a terrible, evil man, an evil emperor, comes out onto the, into the arena, and he calls for the Spaniard to identify himself. And so the emperor, just kind of happy, go lucky, ooh, you won, congratulations, why don't you remove your helmet and identify yourself? Now, the backstory is, in terms of this gladiator, he has lost everything because of this emperor, and he hates him. And so what happens is, Russell Crowe's character, he, say, he asks, well, what's your name? Identify yourself. And he simply says, my name is Gladiator. And then he turns his back on the emperor, which is a big no-no. The emperor calls him out, and Russell Crowe's character turns back around. He removes his helmet in a very dramatic moment. He says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am the commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the one to come. And in a moment, he recalls everything in terms of who he is, his true identity. And even though he has lost everything, even though he is now in the midst of pain and tragedy and suffering and new surroundings, even though his entire life has taken a turn, it has not caused him to forget who it is that he is. And in this dramatic moment, as he's looking squarely face to face with the emperor, he says, this is who I am. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I wish we all could say the same, not that our name was Maximus, although that is a fine name, but that all of us, no matter what pain we're going through, tragedy, suffering, new surroundings, turn in life, when asked who it is that we were to identify ourselves, we would know exactly who we are, and we would remember exactly who God created us to be and who He intended for us to be. But unfortunately, it seems more often than not, Far too often, in the midst of those things, we look in the mirror and we see an image reflected back and we can't remember who this is staring at us now. That far too often, we can't remember who we are. And the face that's in that mirror seems like a stranger and we end up asking the questions, how in the world did I end up here? How did did my life end up here? I never intended this. I never asked for this. And there's a, a, a string of memories and tragedies and past events and traumas and this broken marriage or this broken relationship. And as we're staring in the mirror, we're trying to figure out the person that we're looking at, it just seems like a distant stranger to us. This isn't who we're supposed to be. Someone stole our true identity. Popular nowadays is a conversation about identity theft, especially as everything goes online and online banking, the the, uh, probability and chances of having your identity stolen have increases. And so there are horror horror stories all around about those who've lost their uh, identities to others who've stolen it and used it for their own purposes. 
Newsweek had an article entitled The Scary New World of Identity Theft in which they told a story of a 23-year-old single mother who lived in Atlanta who had an ex-co-worker, and when they were working together, the ex-co-worker was able to get some very important numbers from the, from the fellow co-worker. And when, they, when uh, the person left their job, they used her identity to open up 25 credit cards. They took out loans, and they even got a marriage license in her name. They ended up charging $37,000, including the purchase of a new car. There's grave consequences to someone stealing your identity and using it against you in a horrendous and tragic way. But you need to know this has been going on since the Garden of Eden. There has been an attempt to steal your true identity and to use then your identity against you in such a way that in the end, you don't know who you are. And you don't know what God intended for you anymore. And you don't know who it was that you were supposed to be from the very beginning. But let me remind you, at least from scriptures, if we go back to the very beginning to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, if you hear nothing else, let this go deep into your heart and be imprinted on your mind that God says in Genesis 1, verse 27, about you and about me, that he was going to create us in his own image. In the image of God, then he created him, male and female, he created them. You were created with the divine image of God stamped on your life. You are not an accident. And I don't care what your mom and dad said. You are not an accident. And I don't care the circumstances of your birth. I don't care the circumstances of your life. You need to know right here and now that God has on you his divine image, his stamp of whatever it is, the divine, the divinity is stamped on your life. And when you look in the mirror, what's going to happen is Satan is going to do everything he can to smear that image and to smear that identity so that when you're looking at the mirror, you can't find the very image that God has created you in, which is his very own. And the truth is, you were created in the image of God. Your true identity is found in this. You are a reflection of a good, an infinitely good God. Yet we know since the very beginning, Satan has tried to leverage everything he can to stop us from identifying ourselves as people who are created in the image of God. And Satan has found a way to enter into the most vulnerable places of our identity and begin to make transactions in our name that are never for our good. Just like that single mother in Atlanta, that, that co-worker went and used the most vulnerable places in her life, her most important numbers that nobody should know about, to her keys, to her finances, and made transactions to her detriment. Satan has found a way to enter in the most vulnerable places of our lives and make transactions against us and not for our good. Let me give you four areas that uh, I would suggest. Uh, a guy named Mike Bro uh, wrote a book entitled Identity Theft, and he gives four areas of life that we should look to as possible identity stealers, like thefts, thieves that come in and steal our identity, the true identity we have in God. Let me share these with you. Number one, he says, is relationships. Relationships can be for us an identity theft, the thief, to steal who it is that God intends for us to be. That deep, now, we know relationships in and of themselves are not a bad thing. But here's what we know, that Satan has a way to come in and leverage things against us, even things that are not inherently bad or evil, like relationships, so that in the end, we each have a quest, we each are searching for an unfailing love. And in that, what happens is Satan has a way of exploiting our desire for an unfailing love, and it changes who we are. 
And we've probably seen it in others, or we've been able to identify it in ourselves, that we are a particular kind of person with particular habits and particular personalities and particular values. But when we move over to find somebody who could be in our life that could show us unfailing love, the next thing is we begin to compromise on our values. We begin to turn into somebody entirely different. We begin to have a different personality. And all of a sudden, we look in the mirror, and we are nobody that we remember in regards to who we used to be, who God created us to be, because our longing is to become the kind of person that that other person in relationship wants us to be, and it's steals from us identity, and it happens all of the time. That's how somebody who is committed to Jesus will all of a sudden find herself in an adulterous relationship, and now she's looking in the mirror. She is, in fact, the other woman. How does she get there? She got there because her true identity was stolen by the need for unfailing love is found in a relationship. That's how girls in high school will allow guys to do things to her that she never thought she would allow them to do. It is a quest for relationship. It is a quest for acceptance. It's a quest for somebody to love her in a way that she craves and has longed for. And in it, I'm telling you, Satan has used this over and over again, leveraged it to change who we really are, what God created us to be. And in it, we'll need to have eyes wide open to see that this is who God has created to be this, and to be steadfast in that, that no matter what our life circumstance brings, we know exactly who we are. And sometimes it becomes the pain of broken relationships that Satan comes in and steals our joy and peace and sets us on a path of bitterness and resentment. And you've probably experienced this or seen this in others. When that bitterness takes root, it affects us in powerful ways. Just the pain of broken relationships or betrayals, our tone is different. Our speech is different. Your Facebook statuses are different. We become cutting, short-fused, overly sensitive, paranoid. And then the next thing you know, one morning you're looking in the mirror and the person who's staring back at you, you don't recognize at all. And you ask yourself, who is this person? Where do they come from? Jesus wants us to look in the mirror and to begin to see ourselves anew as God intended all along. That Jesus wants to hand us back our true identity by reminding us that God is the only one who can provide for us unfailing love. That he is the only one. Congratulations, Hitlers, on your 12 years of marriage. Kelly and I have been married now for many years, three or four we're kind of working on here. We're very young. Now it's actually 18, right, this year, 18. Uh, anyone see the movie Jerry Maguire? It's a good movie. Remember, remember the line where in the end that romantic scene where finally they're kind of not sure where they're going to go. And remember the famous line when he says back to her, you complete me. Remember, remember saying that? Well, you need to know that I don't complete Kelly. <laughs> I don't. And I mean no disrespect, but she doesn't complete me. God never intended to be that way. The only one who completes me is God. And the only one that completes Kelly is God. And the moment we allow somebody else to come into the scene, and I mean, it's, we listen to too many, remember that Delilah on 101.5, all those love songs? Pfft. I mean, you listen to that enough, they go, oh, I love you. I love, right? No, no, we need to be reminded once again that the only one who's supposed to step into our life and complete us is God himself. And when we are complete in God, then, and it's then and only then, when we have our clear identity and image in Jesus Christ, then we're able to see others as they rightfully are. And that doesn't mean that we don't have, I mean, I'm a different person because I'm married to Kelly. It doesn't mean that by, at the core of my identity I've changed. It just means my personality is a little bit better because I've hung out with Kelly for 18 years, all right? And before we got married, the, our premarital counselor warned me in terms of, remember this conversation in the premarital counseling? I got a warning because we took these uh, Meyer-Briggs test indicators. Um, and the first, uh, first uh, letter, there's like, a, like numbers that kind of give you tips of your personality. 
The first one, Judge, well, you're extroverted or introverted. Whether you get energy by being with other people unless you're extroverted or you're more introverted where, not that you don't like people, but if you're around them too much, it's just exhausting and draining. Well, the truth is both Kelly and I are extroverted. Like by way of personality, we both tested extroverted. But I tested so off the charts that what our premarital counselor said is, in marriage, together, you will make her look introverted unless you know how to tone yourself down. And he's right. I mean, that was right. And so I'm not talking about those things where, yeah, you're trying to figure out how to manage, how to live together in a way that, yeah, that's right, our personalities kind of take different shapes. But I'm talking about we begin to abandon who we rightfully are in Jesus Christ because we're looking for in something else that ought to be only in God to complete us or to make us whole. And the promise of Jesus is he is the one who will provide for us unfailing love, security, and peace. And this is important because I see so many people who can't seem to go two days without a relationship with another person. You know people like that? Like they're in a relationship and they break up and then two days later they're with somebody and you're like, it's just two days ago, you just were in the street. And there's just something in them that they just can't even exist or survive without feeling like they have somebody else in their life. And what I'm saying is just take a break and just hang out with Jesus and let him remind you who you rightfully are. So when you look in the mirror, you know with confidence, this is who I am. They're serial unhealthy relationships. And why? Because our identity has been stolen. And if it's in the pain of those broken relationships and there's bitterness there, it is Jesus who wants to set us free from that and put us on a path of forgiveness. So that no matter what that person did or how they betrayed us or how they left us, that it doesn't set us into a path of bitterness and anger, but rather he sets us on a path of forgiveness. Let me give you number two. Number two is appearance. Appearance can be an identity thief. I'm curious what you say when you stand in front of the mirror and see yourself. Like, what is the tape that plays in your mind when you're looking at yourself in the mirror? My guess is most of us are probably pretty harsh with ourselves. That as we're looking in the mirror, very few of us probably go, yeah, all right, on." <laughs> there might be a few. And if you're so bold, if you want to raise your hand, who's there? It's pretty... <laughs> Usually we look in the mirror and go, oh, those wrinkles or that pimple or there goes another hair. And you just see it on the mirror, just kind of fall in the sink. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking, oh, I've got a mustache and you're a girl. I mean, I, it's a... <laughs> and I don't know what it might be, but you know those tapes that play, right? Oh, you're fat, you're ugly, you're unattractive, blah, blah, blah. They play in your head. And they become things that verify. And so what happens is who we rightfully are, who God intends us to be, how we intend us to think about ourselves, all of a sudden becomes skewed by this desire for appearance that comes in and steals true identity. And sometimes it goes way back. Sometimes it could just be your own mother was insecure, and so she made some flippant remark about your weight gain, and that was just it. I mean, just even that one comment sent you on a path in your mind mentally that you've not yet overcome. Sometimes it could just be the insensitivity of a father. Didn't mean anything by it when trying to hurt your feelings. Gave you a hug, hug one day and said, where's my skinny little girl? And it just set your mind in a race to verify as you look in the mirror, oh, this is who I am. Maybe it's a bully in junior high. Isn't it amazing how even a 55-year-old can still be affected by a bully from junior high? Can I tell you about Chelsea Smith in junior high for me, seventh grade? Let me tell you about Chelsea Smith. I don't know what her and the rest of the girls were doing, but they wrote down the names of every boy in the class, and they had three categories, looks, personality, and butt. <laughs> that, was the, that was the three categories, so I guess junior high girls were. And they ranked them, like they wanted to rank, like zero to ten, 
And I saw, I somehow I got a hold of this note, and I saw my name. It's Sam, and it said, looks, zero, personality, five, but zero. Now, obviously, Chelsea Smith didn't realize I was going to blossom into this at the time. <laughs> I'm going to send her a picture of her Facebook friends of my butt. No, I'm just kidding. Back in seventh grade, I still, I still remember that, right? That kind of, and after the therapy, I think I'm better now. I'm all right. Or maybe it's an ex-boyfriend, what he said to you. Friends, what they said to you. I know a girl who can trace her eating disorder back to a careless and flippant comment by a classmate who called her fat. He was joking around. He was teasing. He didn't mean anything by it, but he called her fat, and that snapped in her mind in such a way that she went on to struggle with an eating disorder for years. Did you know we spend $20 billion in cosmetics? $20 billion. $2 billion alone just on hair care, which I'm helping out in terms of the hair care. But I think this is the lie that plays into our head. If I'm attractive enough to other people, I'll be accepted and admired. I will be respected, significant, and loved. I'll be worthwhile. I'll be enough. And once this happens, all of my problems will be resolved. My life will fall into place. People of the opposite sex will find me irresistible. Employers will want to hire me. Friends will want to be with me. Friends will want to be me. And all that is a lie. It is Satan leveraging, once again, in our minds, something that, I mean, being concerned about your appearance, I'm not, I'm not down in that, right? I mean, we don't want to be ugly people if we could avoid it, right? But I mean... But Satan finds a way to leverage the desire for appearance in such a way that the next thing you know, it begins to steal from us our true identity. And when we look in the mirror, we become somebody other than what he intended from us all along. The next thing you know, we're driven by appearance. And you need to know that Jesus wants us to be restored to our image anew of who we rightfully are. And, and I think following Jesus will mean we should probably do things like eat right and get exercise and proper rest, et cetera, et cetera, because we are the body of temple of, our bodies are the temple of God. But because of Jesus, our bodies will not be the object of our worship or anybody else's. And we want to know what God says. And so we'll want to grasp deeply in the word what God says about you personally and his great love for you and how he sings over you and how beautiful you are. And we want to see as God sees so that when we look in the mirror, we're not overcome by, oh, look at that wrinkle or that hair that just jumped out again. I mean, it will be, I want to see myself as God sees me. And I want to be overwhelmed with that. I want that to set my identity. I want to set that to set the trajectory of my day. And I want to love who God loves. And, and this is what I find about people who get caught up in, in, in appearance. Usually those who get caught up in appearance are usually those who do not serve and love those that God serves and loves. Because when your heart and your mind and your life gets captivated in serving and loving those that God loves, you forget a lot about yourself. That self uh, You ever see the movie uh, Shallow How? Anyone see that movie? Talking about a movie, movie today. Shallow how? A guy who was really shallow and he had a turn of events when something happened where his eyes only could see a, a person's inside. So women who physically were very attractive in his eyes were disgusting if they weren't beautiful on the inside. Like they were just gross. One of the most powerful scenes to me is he's playing with these beautiful little, I mean, in his eyes, they're just beautiful children. They're sitting in a hospital ward and they're just playing games and these reading books and the children are gorgeous. And as he leaves the room, what you discover is he's in a burn unit. And what he's playing with are kids who have been disfigured and disformed because of fire, but because of who they really are, deep. He sees them as beautiful. And I'm telling you, I think that's what God, God wants to give us eyes to see everybody, including ourselves, as he sees them. 
And in it, he wants us to love and serve. And it calls us out of a culture that's drowning us in a message that says you should look like this. You've got to be this body weight and this. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So then in the end, we know we don't have to look like one of the cast members of Jersey Shore to be loved by God and others. Amen? Because the snooky and situation, whatever their names are. Number three, success. Success. I'm not a, against success, but what I've discovered is the pursuit of success many times can get us to take our eyes off of who God really intended us to be, the image he created us in, and the next thing you know, we're trying to prove that we have value because we're in pursuing success, and this often comes at the cost of our true identity. In a pursuit to win, and whatever we want to define that is, we become people that we never thought we would become. In fact, workaholics are driven for success and in the end begin to neglect wife and children and God himself. And it usually comes from people who grow up in homes that are performance-driven, where they know that you're taught even as little children that love and acceptance were earned. And in case you're wondering if this still exists today, I would just challenge you to go to any Little League ball field in our community, and I'm telling you, it will take you very little time to see manifest parents who are, they might not ever mean to, but they're communicating a message to their kids that love and approval and joy is earned. And so what happens is we say things like this, I feel like a nobody and I hate that feeling. And I'm going to be somebody. And I'm going to prove that to everyone. I don't care if it takes long hours or even if it takes seven days a week. It doesn't matter if it costs me my health, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, or even my soul. I will pay whatever price is necessary because I can't stand feeling like a loser. I will compete, claw, perform, produce, earn, accumulate, strive, drive, and win until I am appreciated, until I am accepted, until I am admired, until I am finally somebody. And Jesus wants to come right into that picture and reorient that all together to say, you don't get that by, you're driven by success at all. And that Jesus wants to remind us that success is reimagined. I mean, his own disciples struggled with this tendency. Do you, I mean, some of their biggest arguments and fights with one another were who's going to be the most successful, right? The language is who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus has to come in and say, that's not who God created you to be. That's not who you'll be following me. If you follow me, what you will learn is success will be redefined. It won't be who has the most toys, who makes the most money, who looks like they can have the most power and influence. Success, now determined by the kingdom of God, will be who serves, who's willing to be last, who's willing to put others above themselves. And so there becomes a new picture of this is what God intended for us all along. It's what he intended for the whole world all along, but Satan has done this deceptive act of stealing away what God intended from the very beginning, and Jesus wants to come back and restore that back in us to know that we are successful if we're following after the servant leader who is Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what kind of a house you have. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. None of those things matter to Jesus. Success is no longer defined by those things. In fact, who it is that we are deep down, what God has created for us to be, intended for us to be all along, has nothing to do with those things. And then finally, number four, our past. Satan has a way of using our past to steal from us our identity. Because if we talk long enough, what we'll discover is all of us have a past. And really, what's shocking to me here at the Livingstones Church is how many stories we have about past. I mean, it's quite incredible how screwed up you people are. <laughs> and what happens is, yeah, that failed relationship, that failed marriage, not just one, like those two failed marriages, 
Satan has a, com- a way of coming in and then really trying to leverage that and use that against you in such a way that when you look in the mirror, you're so full of guilt and shame, you just can't get out of it. Or what it is that you did, and you know, I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of had too much to drink, you got in the car, you started the car, you drove back down, and then. And if we just go around the room, we all we'd all have our stories of these are things that I'm not proud of. These are things that I still carry and guilt and shame. I want to say this. I don't think guilt in itself is a bad thing. I think guilt might be a right and appropriate thing in our life that gives us those warnings that say, this is a violation of our values. This is a violation of what God called us to. And so it's not bad to feel guilt. Guilt usually is that I'm I'm not proud of something that I've done. But oftentimes Satan leverages that and brings on shame, which is an entirely different thing and in my mind has no redemptive qualities whatsoever. What Satan does with shame is it's no longer, you're no longer proud of what you did. You're no longer proud of who you are. You find that there's something about you, innately, you of who you are. And I think Jesus wants to come, and God wants to come, and through the blood of Jesus, rescue us from living a life where Satan is allowed to leverage our past in ways that keeps us from seeing who we rightfully are. And so whether it's relationships, or whether it's appearance, or whether it's success, or whether it's our past, Jesus wants us to be able to look into the mirror and once again know exactly who we are. And in that, know that what we're reflecting is, in fact, the image of God. And he has given us the means, then, to put to death all fraudulent identities that Satan has tried to convince us of so we might once again see clearly. This is what Paul says. Let me give you two passages. One is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I mean, think about that. I mean, what he's saying here, I'm dead. Like, like Sam is dead. Paul is dead. I no longer live. Now it is Christ who lives in me. The life that I'm living in the body, I live now by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is what we want for us. We want to identify ourselves in the death and burial and resurrection with Jesus in such a way that when we look in the mirror, what we catch is a reflection of him. And that we just live our lives knowing that, well, I've been crucified with Christ. And even though I'm living, and this is the body that he's handed me, this isn't my body, it's his body. And the life I now live in this body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And that so captivate our hearts that when we see ourselves in the mirror, that's what it is that we see. Or Paul will say in Romans chapter 6, it's a beautiful, he's teaching about baptism, and he's saying, in your baptism, you died with Christ. There is something that has taken place in your life. He'll go on to say in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so when we see ourselves in the mirror, we'll recognize this is a new life. This is a new Sam. It's not the old Sam. That one's been crucified with Jesus. That one's been buried with Jesus. And the new one that's now raised with Jesus, I get to see myself through his reflection. That is why God is so crazy in love with you, because when he sees you, he sees you through the lens of his son Jesus. And see, if you're not aware, God's always disappointed in you, always upset with you. He sees you through his son Jesus. And it's because of his righteousness that he is so crazy in love with you that you'll know because we've given ourselves to him, we could see ourselves clearly. A couple weeks ago, I'm a Cubs fan, which means I'm perpetually in mourning, but <laughs> traded a couple players. Ryan Terrio was one. I like Ryan Terrio. Next thing you know, he's become a Dodger. He's been on the Cubs for several years now, 
And now out of nowhere, he gets sent off to the Dodgers, and he takes on now a Dodgers uniform. And in that instant, you know what he becomes? A Dodger. If they come back and play the Cubs, even at Wrigley Field, Ryan Terrio is not free to play, right, as a Cub. He's not able to go back to the Cubs locker room. He can't put on the Cubs jersey. He is now a Dodger. And when he sees himself in the mirror, what he sees is a man who is a Dodger. And you need to know that when you put on Christ Jesus, you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and in that moment you have instantly become a child of the king. You become a son and daughter of the living God. And you are not free any longer to be in that old life. Now, you might have some of those old patterns of thought, maybe some of those old habits, but you need to know when you see yourself in the mirror, you've got on a new, a new jersey that says Jesus on it. And in that... You have put him on, and just like Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, you can have that triumphant moment when Satan says, why don't you identify yourself and tell me your name? You can tell you exactly what your name is in Christ Jesus because everything in our life will flow out of identity. Everything will flow out of who we think we are and knowing who we are. I want my daughter to know, my little 8-year-old baby girl, to know that she's a child of God, that she is a daughter of of a king, the king of kings, and the lord of lords, the prince of peace. And you know why this is so important to me? And listen to this, baby girl. Because when some guy ever tries to treat her less than the princess that she is, she'll be able to identify it, and in a moment go, I don't have to settle for that. I'm a daughter of the king. See, what's dangerous is in her life, if she doesn't know that she's that, if she thinks, I'm not that at all, and what if I'm not attractive, and what if I need to have the attention of boys to make me feel complete, and then out of that identity, everything in her life will be different. And see, I want my sons to know, both of them, I want them to know that they are sons of a king. And I want them to know that they are warriors in a kingdom that belongs to their God, and they shouldn't settle to have their primary identity or image in anything else. That's seeing ourselves truly in the mirror as the image bearers of God, rescued in Christ Jesus That is our message that will help people overcome eating disorders. That is our message that will help high school girls at Riley High School stop cutting themselves. That is the message that will allow people, enable people to see abuse for what it rightfully is. That knowing our true identity and guarding our identity is our steps toward freedom in Christ. So my prayer for you this morning is that you will know, grasp, I mean not just, I mean you will grasp fully, how wide and how deep and how long and how powerful is God's love for you. And that when you see yourself in the mirror, that's what you see. Let's invite the band to come back up here. Let's pray together and ask God to give us that revelation as we leave. Father, we come to you this morning. We want to see ourselves as you see us. We want to be able to have that reflection of ourselves in Christ Jesus in such a way that we know who we are. There's no, and we'll be so confident in that, Lord, that we would never be led astray by any of Satan's schemes. We would never be led away by anything, Lord, that would try to convince us otherwise, that we'll know we belong to you. And that we get to have, and we get to identify with the name that is above all other names, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.